Distro hopping, the idea that Linux is fun and the myriad ways people put distros together should be reviewed often. My name is Moss. I live in eastern Tennessee. I'm Dale. I live in northeast Ohio. And I'm Josh. I live in western Pennsylvania. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest. We love checking distros out. New distros, new versions of older distros, and even some we may have overlooked. We each have our preferences in complexity or desktop or package management. Perhaps we can help you find a new distro or help you better understand one that has piqued your curiosity. The idea of this podcast is that we each install a new distro to our chosen hardware for three to four weeks and use it as much as possible, perhaps even as our daily driver. We record all our trials, tribulations, fixes, and what we like and what we didn't. I tend to prefer looking at distros that would be kinder to a new user, especially one who is hoping to move over from another operating system such as Windows or Mac OS. Oh, I tend to take on the more advanced distros and give them a go. And I'm more of a Linux gamer and sysadmin ninja. We intend to give as much information as possible on each distro and we'll also divulge what hardware we're using and how we think the hardware may have affected the rating. Welcome to Distro Hopper's Digest, episode 36, recorded on September 21st, 2022. Tony has graduated to emeritus status and will continue to edit and produce the show, but his absence on the show will be felt. For this episode, we will be reviewing Peppermint OS 2022, Regolith 2, and Draugr OS. Monthly foibles were and we discuss what we did this month. I completely reworked the distros on my T540P due to some really strange things going on with Mint 21. The only distro I did not have to reinstall was Bodhi, which keeps plugging right along. I have gone back into the classroom as a substitute teacher, but only time will tell if I have the stamina to keep it up. Anything exciting going on with you, Dale? My mobile phone provider saga continues with me using Verizon once again. They tried to sign me up under their welcome back promotion, except for some reason they had some issues on their end, and after 90 minutes, they signed me up as a new customer. Since I was considered a new customer, I was able to get a free phone. All I needed to do was pay the sales tax. The total cost of the phone appears as a payment on my bill, but they credit me the cost of the payment. I just love corporate accounting practices. It's probably a tax write-off for them. The phone in question is the Google Pixel 6a, which I like better than the uh, Motorola phones that I've been using the past decade. My initial concerns were the fingerprint sensor, which is an on-screen reader. My Motorola Z4 um, that I had a few years ago, the on-screen reader worked about 30 to 40% of the time. I'm happy to say that the Pixel is about 95% for me. I also kept the gestures enabled. They were um, enabled by default. I found that I really like them, so much so that I enabled on my Motorola One, and I recently had to do that on my tablet because <laughs> I was swiping and nothing was happening. While looking online for cable management ideas, I found a company called Legrand. They sell a product called Cordmate with three sizes to handle up to five cables. They appear to be made of a PVC or a PVC-like material. I was able to cut them to size using a serrated blade on my Leatherman. 
It is simple to assemble. Press the cable or cables into the raceway channel, then peel off the uh, protective covering on the adhesive tape and press it against the wall or the ceiling. They seem to stick very well and white looks quite nice against my uh, walls and ceiling. It almost matches, which is a hard thing to do with white. In regards to Linux and my computers, I connected my two desktops, my mini ITX, and the Plex server. I also mounted the access point to the ceiling just outside my office. I measured its placement to be equally apart from my bedroom and my office with the living room in the middle. On a technical note, I changed the bandwidth from 40 megahertz to 80 megahertz for the 5 gigahertz radio, since most of my stuff is using 5. I think actually all of my stuff is. Wow, it really made a difference in my speed. I knew about the setting before, but I never thought it would be such a drastic improvement. There is an option for 160 megahertz. From what I've read, it depends on how many APs are in your area. The water bandwidth may interfere with the others. The Ubiquiti Unify controller has an option to scan for other APs. Once I do that, I will see if I'm able to enable the 160 MHz channel. Overall, I'm very happy with the performance, considering the brick and uh, concrete construction of my uh, apartment building. Lastly, I updated Debian testing on my desktop, Debian 11 Bullseye on my Mini ITX and the Plex server, and Solus Plasma on my other desktop. These had all been powered off for two months and were successfully updated. I've been quite impressed with Solus Plasma. It has been updating once a month for at least three years. I don't worry about my Debian stable boxes, but I did need to do an additional disk upgrade on testing due to some packages being held back. And I had to do that actually the other day where I had a whole bunch of packages being held back, but this time I only had to do an apt upgrade again, and it allowed it. It's weird how apt works sometimes. So, Josh, what have you been up to? Well, I'm officially moved into my new apartment and started my new job. Uh, so far, it's been good. Uh, I don't quite have all my tech stuff up and running yet, but I did get to my desktop with the uh, Ryzen 7 5800X and my uh, laptop with the 11th Gen i7. I also have my uh, server that Dale gave to me up and running, but I switched the operating system from Proxmox to TrueNAS Scale. They're both, well, kind of hypervisor operating systems. Proxmox is primarily hypervisor, and TrueNAS Scale is kind of like a NAS slash hypervisor. Yeah, it's got some issues yet, but it's pretty solid other than some edge cases. Anyway, uh, so far that um, has been really nice uh, because it has all the benefits of the NAS uh, system combined with the benefits of the Linux box because TrueNAS Scale is Linux-based and TrueNAS Core is uh, BSD. Um, it uses virtualization and Docker to run the VMs and the applications that are provided. Compared to the BSD version, TrueNAS Core, formerly known as FreeNAS, has many more virtualization options and the application gallery is better with TrueNAS Scale. You also have a thing called TrueCharts that you can use to add in community-built applications. The thing that is nice about the applications are they are one-click installs. 
uh, they basically pull down a Docker container and deploy it using Kubernetes. I won't get into all that because I'm not reviewing uh, TrueNAS scale, but um, in the future, I will get to that one. Okay, on to updates where we discuss what we've learned about distros we've already reviewed. Spectacular news was made in Canonical Land, where Ubuntu Unity has been made an official flavor, effective 22.10. This is great news for the dev of Ubuntu Unity, who has come from seemingly nowhere to an official dev in just a few years, and who turns 13 around the time this episode will be released. Also, Open Mandriva has released an RC for version 5.0. I can hardly wait to test this distro out when it gets to final form, but I don't mess with RCs and rarely with betas. Dale? Debian testing is at kernel 5.19 and GNOME version 42.4. I was expecting a bigger bump because I had to do those two updates, but alas, it was only one point up. It was 42.3. For those of you that want OS Prober to be able to add additional operating systems to your Grub boot menu... Edit your grub config, which is located in the slash etc slash default folder, and edit the file name grub. Add the following line, and this will be in the, uh, in the show notes here. It's all capitals grub underscore disable underscore os underscore prober equals, and then the boiling value is false in lowercase. Then... You just have to type update hyphen grub. It'll regenerate the RAM and uh, all of your other grub associated files. And when you reboot, any operating systems that weren't detected are there. I didn't see anything else worth mentioning from the other distros. They were mostly community announcements and some other stuff. So, Josh, what do you got? So, uh... Yeah, I noticed two things. Uh, Fedora 37 is now in beta, and uh, now they're also including GNOME uh, 43. That just happened today, I, I believe, because GNOME 43 got released. And then Chimera OS is uh, now on version 35 also. So not sure what all changed in both of those exactly. I didn't really get to test or read them very much, but uh, definitely worth noting. Okay, moving on. Beautiful failures, what we tried and failed to install or run this month. I have been having little niggling issues with Mint 21. Currently, it is telling me something about a deprecation of Key 8 or something like that regarding Grub Customizer. I have no clue what to do, and it won't let me copy and paste the text, so I can't take it to a group and say, hey, what does this mean? It also keeps telling me I shouldn't be using the configured Grub entry for Mint, but should use a different one. These issues seem to relate to the 22.04 code base. And Firefox just does not like to update from the main Mint repo. I had it where I needed to leave it alone for a half hour to complete the download. I'm about to switch to something else or go back to 20.3. Dale? Well, this technically wasn't a fail, but it was my fault for not reading the upgrade instructions. And any ladies listening to the podcast... Yeah, a man that doesn't read instructions, huh? Get a man. (laughs) 
When I searched for regolith, I clicked on the download link in the first search result. It was version 1.6 based on Ubuntu 20.04. After installation, I tried to upgrade it to 22.04. When I rebooted, apparently it broke something in the regolith desktop as I couldn't access any of the keyboard commands. That required me to uh, hold down the power button and force the laptop to power off. I did another search from my Pangolin laptop and went to the main page instead of using the quick download links from the search engine. Sure enough, they were specific upgrade instructions. Who would have thought it? However, I didn't need to follow them because they were also mentioned that they created the new website for the 2.0 branch of Regolith. I went to the new site and downloaded the 2.0 ISO based on Ubuntu 22.04. You know, sometimes it's just fun to break stuff and they need to work on their SEO because 2.0 should be coming up before their 1.6, but it is what it is. Josh? Uh, so I kind of blew up my first attempt at running containers on my TrueNAS scale server. I'm not exactly sure what went wrong. But I say everything broke in the show notes, but it wasn't really everything. I just couldn't do anything with the containers or with my file system. It all just kept yelling at me saying, this value cannot equal year zero. And I was like, uh, year zero. <laughs> I guess I went back in time. <laughs> but, um... I rolled back because they have a feature that you can set it to roll back. Well, it's kind of like a rollback, but um, go back in time. Oh, there, there you go. There, I actually did go back in time. But after I did that, everything started working, but I couldn't seem to reproduce the issue. So I, I really don't know uh, what went wrong. It, I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> we need to get you a guest spot on Quantum Leap. <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> you better have uh, Back to the Future, what, four or five? You can have your own DeLorean, <laughs> which I heard they're making an electric version of it now. Oh, I'm not surprised. Don't hit that with lightning. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, other than that, I really haven't done much uh, tech-wise yet, but I'm working on changing that, hopefully, when I get everything uh, set up. I have a uh, Ubiquiti switch from Dale that I got to set up in an AP that I haven't even remotely got to yet. I got to do that. That'll happen maybe next week, hopefully. But uh, other than that, yeah, not much. Okay, let's move on to the reviews. All right, this month I am reviewing Peppermint OS 2022. Shedding its Ubuntu and LXDE shell for Debian and XFCE, Peppermint OS is a new thing, but it runs just like it always has. My hardware I installed on SDA1 of my Lenovo ThinkPad T540P with a 6th Gen i7-4700MQ at 2.4GHz, Intel and NVIDIA GeForce GT730M graphics with 16 gigs of DDR3 RAM. SDA1 is half of a 256GB Samsung SSD. Because of how well it ran, I also installed it on my T560, but this review is not based on that installation. Installation ease and issues. The live disk boots to a very nice wallpaper and a box appears suggesting adding apps such as browser, extras, tutorial, or to open PepHub, the settings. Ignore all that and select the install peppermint icon. Select language and hit next. Log in to Wi-Fi if no Ethernet. 
pick time zone and select next, accept the keyboard and then select install alongside, replace a partition or erase disk. It did not identify which distro was in which partition, so I had to go back and uh, into another distro to look that up and find out what was in which partition. I should have done that first, but most distros will actually identify your partitions according to what's installed in them. From the top now, now that I know which partition, you then get shown a list of goodies to include in your installation with lots of options. I fumbled my way through the multitude and hope I picked well. Next. Name, login, password. Next. I apparently missed the checkbox to log in automatically. The synopsis of my choices are shown. Select install. Watch it unpack and flip through kind of graphical info panels, all clearly based on being informative rather than emphasizing a modern design. You then wait however long it takes and reboot when it's done. Very straightforward, but it is its own installer, or it appears to be. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. I learned that Peppermint plays no tricks with Grub, and I could just reclaim Grub with either Mint or Bodhi. This is refreshing of late, as many distros have been using 32-bit EFI instead of 64-bit Grub. Firefox is ESR 91.13.0. Ease of use. Updating is very interesting, as it opens a terminal and appears to run a script. It keeps you informed that the process is continuing, but gives you zero information as to what it is doing. There's a little bitty box of dots that goes around and around. When it is done, you look at the log file or quit. The desktop is XFCE pretty straight up. Memory and disk use. Five and a half gigabytes of space was used on the SSD. Only 440 megabytes of memory was reported by Free-HM. Ease of finding help? I don't know. I didn't seem to need any. Which, for a Debian distro and me, is unusual. Plays nice with others. Peppermint is coexisting quite nicely with four other distros on this machine. Stability. Debian Bullseye is about as stable as it gets. I have been having some problems on boot. Like, one out of every five boots, it gets stuck somewhere, and I have to do three-finger salute, but then after I do it, it boots right upright. I've never had it have to be reset more than once. Most of the time, that kind of a thing is like a hardware-related issue with it booting up. If you watch the you know stream of text that goes up where it says, okay, okay, or failed, you can yeah. see possibly where it stopped. But when I reboot it, does it fine? That's so weird, though. <laughs> okay, similar distros to check out. Linux Lite, MX21, LMDE5. Looks like I'm buzzing right through here. Ratings. Ease of installation for a new user, 7 out of 10. It is confusing, especially when it looks like when you're in the live version, you're supposed to set your software first, and that's not how it works. You go ahead and install it, and then that box will come up again when you reboot, and then you pick all your software. It's also a little confusing what software there is to pick. Uh, experienced user, 9 out of 10. I don't think you'd have any problem. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10. Ease of finding help, I didn't look for any, so I can't write that. But in the past, it's been a very friendly community. Ease of use, 10 out of 10. Plays nice with others, 10 out of 10. Stability, 10 out of 10. My overall rating is a 9. My final comments, this is a really good distro and would be right at home in the hands of an intermediate or experienced user. It might be a bit much for a first-time user as it just doesn't quite work the way an inexperienced user would expect it to, coming from Windows or Mac, and has quite a few features that would not be appreciated by a newbie. 
any user would be likely to keep this going once they got used to it and would be looking for some of these special touches from other distros and likely not find them. I did download and run Linux Lite 6, the latest version, for comparison's sake, as in the past it was quite similar to Peppermint, although it remains based on Ubuntu. It has the same updater icon, but not the same updater, is more Ubuntu-like and would be easier for a new user to follow. So the question is, has Debian gotten that much better, or is it me? Or is it just that Peppermint found the right tools to make Debian work for me? I'm not sure whether I'm keeping Peppermint, but this is exactly the type of distro I'm ready for now. I may be more open to Debian-based distros in the future, but I'm aware I just might discover that Peppermint is the best at what it does. I can um, at least add a little bit to that where I've noticed a lot of distros starting to shift away from Ubuntu and going to Debian. And I think you're right about that, that Debian has gotten to the point where it's pretty good just you know, as it is, and they can just add a couple of tools on top to make it a slightly easier, and then they're not, it's not so much work as it used to be. Right, but I did try uh, Spiral Linux after Dale's great review last month, and I couldn't even get it to install. Hmm. Yeah, well, that's like Linux in general. It's like hit and miss sometimes. <laughs> well, let's move on and see what Dale's got for us, and I just interrupted Dale saying something. Oh, not, that's okay. I, I was debating on saying it anyways, but with well, that Spiral, I mean, that was more of a, a boutique type thing that the maintainer of Gecko was doing. So I'm not sure exactly how much he did on the installer because that was really vanilla with some flavor put onto it. So I'm not sure. I'm guessing he used the same installer he did for Gecko, and I've always been able to get that to work. Well, that's what I'm not sure, because Debian has um, Calamaris, and they also have the Debian installer. And I can't remember that far back on that review if it was the Debian installer or if it was Calamaris. So I'd have to go back. I think he used Calamaris on that. So I'm thinking, because one thing about Calamaris is it's like the plasma of installers, you can see drastic changes between distros that use it because it's really configurable. So it could just be something that is different. But uh, I think as far as Debian getting easier or you just getting used to it, I think it could be a little bit of both because one thing is the, uh, I'm blanking on the gentleman's name, but the new maintainer for Debian is really making some big changes in the community. Like they're wanting to have firmware in the non-free, get rid of the non-free ISO or at least not make it prominent. Well, I've been using Linux now for over 20 years. You'd think I'd get to be an intermediate user sometime. Yeah. I think it's also I could have rubbed off on you with all my 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 Debian love. <laughs> could be, could be. Well, let's go ahead and get Dale's review. So I am doing Regolith and they actually denote it as Regolith 2. Regolith uses the i3 window manager as its base which is a stacking window manager. More on this in a minute. I couldn't find an official start of the project. All I could find is the date on their GitHub of their oldest repo version. That date is March 17th of 2019. There was also a review from OMG Ubuntu on June of 2019. 
which is the oldest review I could find. Before I get too far, I want to explain what a window manager is, basically, as it gets more complicated than I need to in this review. Window managers control the placement and appearance of windows in a graphical environment. What most people are accustomed to is desktop environments like GNOME, Cinnamon, and Plasma, for example. They all use window managers. They just add more functionality like toolbars, applets, and docs, etc. There are different types of window managers. The one specific to Regolith, and i3 for that matter, is a tiling window manager. They arrange windows so that they don't overlap. Most people are familiar with stacking, also known as floating window managers, where the windows can overlap. The benefit of Regolith is it includes configurations that are not in the default i3. They also include different supporting packages compared to the i3 meta package found in many distros. And just an FYI, a meta package is a package name that is a collection of other packages that are installed all at once. It's something that the uh, distros can create so you don't have to install 17 different packages. They can all be under that one name. There are two options to install Regolith. The first option is the ISO installation, which is a customized Ubuntu 22.04 image. As with other installation ISO images, you can boot into a live environment and use it without installing it, or you can use it to install it on your chosen drive. The ISO provides Regolith branded boot and login screens. It uses the LightDM Display Manager instead of the GDM3, which is the default in GNOME, to avoid unnecessary uh, uh, dependencies. They also remove GNOME Shell, Ubuntu Session, Evolution Data Server, and SnapD. They, of course, can be added if you, you know, want them, if you're desired. The ISO is also available as a mini or a default ISO. The mini only includes the default look and a few status indicators, whereas the default includes support for all official looks and more status indicators. You can think of looks as themes. The second option is to add their apt repository to an existing installation of Ubuntu 20.04 and 22.04 and Debian Bullseye. The app installation lacks customized branding along with supporting packages configured and installed. These include status indicators and application launchers. My hardware. The laptop I used is my Lenovo ThinkPad T460. It has an Intel dual-core i5-6200U, 2.8 GHz CPU, 14-inch display using Intel HD Graphics 520. It has 16 GB of DDR3 RAM and a 500 GB Samsung 860 EVO SSD. Installation ease and issues. As far as the ISO installation goes, it is a very minimal Ubuntu installation. The normal steps of language location partitioning and user account creation are performed. You are prompted to remove the USB stick and press enter to reboot, so I installed it onto one partition of the SSD. On the second partition, I installed Debian Stable Bullseye. I tried Debian testing, but when I went to install the Regolith hyphen desktop meta package, there were a few packages that had unbet dependencies. 
So I reinstalled Debian Stable and followed the installation instructions on the Regolith website to add the repository, then ran sudo apt update and sudo apt upgrade. I followed that with sudo apt install regolith-desktop. I rebooted the laptop just to make sure everything was set. Once at the LightDM login screen, I needed to switch to the regolith session instead of the GNOME shell. To do that, I needed to click on my uh, username and the gear icon in the lower right hand of the uh, screen. From there, I had a drop-down list of the available sessions. Once I selected Regolith, I could enter my password and proceed to the desktop. It's very important that you click on your username first, then do the gear, because it doesn't know what user you're wanting to change. Little FYI there. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. None found. Ease of use. There is a bit of a difference between using the Regolith ISO and using the app repo on Debian. When you log into the Regolith installation, they have a status bar pre-configured with CPU, memory, disk space, network manager, and a separate network status with upload and download statistics, notification counter, volume percentage and mute status, question mark icon showing the key bindings. You click on that and it pops up. Rofi, which is an app launcher, and finally, the date and time. On Debian, using the regolith-desktop mega package, you have a minimal interface, which is the network manager with upload and download statistics and the CPU utilization. On their website, under using regolith, there is a link called configuration. They have a list of recommended status indicators, packages to install, so you can replicate the look of the regolith ISO installation. They made it easy to copy and paste it into the terminal, so you don't have to type all those in. Most of my review is going to be centered on the Regolith ISO due to time commitments while at work. I didn't have a lot of time to do any custom configuring the Debian installation. I just wanted to see how it installed and how it looked. I would recommend the Ubuntu or Debian install using the Regolith repos if you want a clean slate to build from. You can install other i3 packages that Regolith doesn't have installed by default. When I say super, I'm referring to the super key, which is the Windows logo key on most keyboards. When I press super shift question mark, it brought up the listing of the key bindings. You're going to need these. This is very useful until you get familiar with them, or at least change them to something you can remember. To open the app launcher, I press super space, the space bar. Most of the status applications in the panel are not interactive like they are in a desktop environment. Others that you can click on like App Launcher and the Keybinding Help List. One that is a bit odd because it wasn't the action that I was expecting when I clicked on it was the date and time. It opened the date and time settings in GNOME settings. If you want it to open the calendar, you will have to find one and install one. There's too many to uh, mention here. I saw a suggestion for using G Simple Cal and Glenn Day. Moss even questioned me on the spelling of this, but it actually is G A L E N D A E. The search engines tried correcting me. They're like, did you mean G Calendar? And I'm like, no, I meant what I meant. Another use for keyboard command is the super enter key, which opens the terminal. 
Between Super Space and Super Enter, I was able to get packages installed via app and configure files and edit them. Um, there is a package manager in the GUI if you do want to uh, do that. But remember, you don't have a mouse. <laughs> so I would suggest using the, uh, the terminal until you uh, get used to the uh, keyboard commands to navigate the uh, GUI. I guess your cat ate it. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, it uses GNOME software, but you have to navigate with your... Well, you can use the mouse, but yeah, it's it's complicated because you don't have the window decoration. So if you... Yeah, you just have to experience it for yourself. One thing that takes some getting used to is the window layout. When you first log in, all you see is a black screen and a bottom status bar with the aforementioned things I mentioned. I will say that using their website, using Regolith section, and following the first launch and basic usage, very necessary and helpful. When you open applications, the first one is full screen. The next one you open is on the right using half the screen in a horizontal position next to, you know, to the other one. They call this the split layout. The other options are stacked, where the focus window is visible and the others are stacked below. And the third option is tabbed, which is similar to stacked except the windows are listed in a vertical instead of horizontal format. There are two different types of windows, fixed windows and floating windows. Fixed is the default where they are side by side. Floating is what you're used to. It's where your windows float on top of one of the others just like you have in a regular desktop environment. This behavior can be configured as default or application specific. I found it better to have GNOME files and Firefox floating since you generally need to see the whole screen to make it easier to use. Though you can use them otherwise, but you have to remember there's no scroll bar. You don't have your window decorations that you're used to in a desktop environment. Navigating in the windows is done by the keyboard, as I said. The only time you use your mouse is for applications that expect it, like GNOME files, Firefox, GNOME settings, etc. To move the focus to another window, I press the arrow keys with uh, super. So if I want to move to one of this super arrow to whatever screen that I want to uh, go to. So, you know, super left arrow goes left, super right arrow goes right. If I wanted the window to use the full screen, I would type Super F. Pressing it again returns it to the split screen format. Once I got used to that, it was actually quicker than reaching for the mouse and clicking on the window I wanted. To close a window, you select it and press Super Shift Q. Yeah, that one had to be changed because there's no way I was going to remember that. So I just used Alt F4 because... That's what I used in Windows for 20 plus years. <laughs> I then realized that uh, Pop! OS used Super Q, so I actually changed it from Alt 4 to Super Q, which I already knew, but I wasn't thinking. To get more screen real estate, you can use virtual windows and send windows to appear in the virtual window, and they are dynamically created, which is another setting you can have. You can have a set amount of them created or have them dynamically created. And when the window is removed from that and it's the last window, that one disappears. 
Once I did that, there was a two listed in the bottom left of the panel instead of just one. There was a white box around the number that shows which one's in use. Pressing Super Tab switches between the virtual desktops, you know, the virtual windows. I found it pretty cool to select a window and make it float by pressing Super Shift F. And pressing that again returns it to a fixed window. So if you want to do that, this ad hoc, like you want to be able to do that, you just type it. Works pretty nice. I did run into an annoying problem that I was able to resolve after looking through the key bindings list. I was in GNOME settings and a pop-up window opened to change the setting. I clicked on Firefox, which was set to float. Then I switched back to GNOME settings. The odd thing that happened is the child window that opened, which is the pop-up window, was no longer visible. Since GNOME settings was waiting for me to close the window, it wouldn't respond. I needed to press Super Z, and it appeared, and I was able to use Super Shift Q to close it, which, like I said, I already... It's kind of funny. I, I changed it to Super Q, but after editing this review and using it, for some reason, I managed to remember Super Shift Q for some strange reason. Then I was able to use the main GNOME settings window as, as normal, or as normal com as you can be in Regolith. A few things I could have been better uh, configured or at least set up are the notifications and the wallpaper settings. To set the wallpaper, by default using Regolith, you have to edit the X resources to add some dot files. Inside those files point to the path of the image that you're wanting to use and the positioning center um, settings like uh, your ratios and whatever, you know, centered or tiled or whatever you want to make the image do. There are better ways of doing this, like applications, and I don't know how you pronounce this, it's F-E-H, so fe and nitrogen. I think nitrogen is is more like what people are used to in a, in a GUI. Fe is more of a command line to set it. The notifications by default are handled by rollification. It's something that the Rogolith uh, created. Its aim is to not pop up in your face while you're trying to work. It provides a central place to look for your notifications. Personally, I prefer a pop-up from the panel that disappears after a few seconds. I forgot to write down the ones I found, but you have options. It wasn't a bad implementation, but is this more of what we're used to? One nice thing about keybinding is that you can change them to what you want. If you're like me and can't remember that Super Shift P powers off the computer, because why wouldn't you? You can change it. I just opened the terminal and typed sudo shutdown hyphen H space now. Memory and disk use. 8.1 gigabytes of space used on the SSD. 476 megabytes of memory was a, reported by free-hm, which I thought was pretty good until I read Moss's show notes. of. Yeah, that's about the same as XSCE, and you can really beat that with Moksha and Enlightenment. Yeah, I, I, was, uh, I couldn't remember what DE you were using. That's why I was stumbling. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I was kind of shocked um, at 476, but yours was surprising as well. Ease of finding help. 
Their website is the best source for finding help, followed by the i3 website. And lastly, many of the YouTube videos. Though you have to watch those YouTube videos because you have to make sure that they're not like really advanced type ones because some of them hit the ball and they start running or hit the ground running, whatever that phrase is. T-L-D-W. Yeah. <laughs> Plays nice with others. This shouldn't be a problem since this is standard Ubuntu or if you're using Debian, you shouldn't have a problem. And it uses XT4, so... It's a standard file system you shouldn't have any problem with. Stability, uh, you know, it's Debian. And these days with Ubuntu, you don't really have a problem either. So moving on. Similar distros to check out. Well, Endeavor OS has i3 available amongst its options. And Manjaro has a uh, i3 edition. Now, many of the other ones have them, but... There's a good possibility you're going to have a very vanilla i3 installation where you pretty much have nothing <laughs> but a black screen and a bar. And it's up to you to know to type super enter to get to a terminal because even the cheat sheet, the little um, thing that helps you with the, uh, the keyboard bindings, isn't even loaded. I mean, you have nothing. My writings. There's going to be some caveats, but I'll go quickly through these. Ease of installation, new user. I just put one because this is widely based on your ability and what you're comfortable with. Person coming from Windows, heck no. <laughs> they're going to see a black screen and they're going to think it didn't load. They're going to think something broke. I mean, they're going to be like, okay, we're, how do I even turn the damn thing off? <laughs> so I'd say if you're adventurous... I'd say four or five, but there's going to be a steep curve. Now, experienced user, it's not going to be much higher. Um, an experienced user, you're still going to be at, at around six because your first inclination is to use the mouse and you're like, there's nothing to click on. So you just have to wrap your head around these keyboard bindings and change them to something you know or something you can remember because it actually, once you get used to it, it actually isn't that bad. It's just... If you're tired and after driving 600 miles, it's not so well, but I digress. Hardware issues, 10 out of 10, it's Ubuntu Debian, nothing to say there. The ease of finding help comedian web, oh, it's 10 out of 10. I mean, you have the Arch Wiki, you have the uh, excellent documentation that Regolith has, i3, though more tersely worded, is still a very good resource. Theirs is more formatted as like a help, like a man page more than pictures and do this, do this, and do this. They basically just give you, you know, the information. Plays nice with others. Like I said, it's Ubuntu and Debian. It's 10 out of 10. Stability, like I said, Ubuntu, Debian, 10 out of 10. Overall, I'm going to say it's a 7 with the caveats of your mileage may vary. Final comments. Regolith was actually a very enjoyable experience and was my second time trying i3. I would say that you have to be, you know, a person that likes to use the keyboard and the terminal. That's also good for someone that wants to customize their keyboard shortcuts. There are no limits to what you can do. There is a steep learning curve that may be too steep for some. 
If you're adventurous and want a challenge, I would fully recommend trying Regolith or even i3. The amount of flexibility you can achieve is the best in Linux, or any other operating system for that matter. The way you can dynamically switch between floating windows and static windows is a very cool feature. Additionally, editing the configuration to set specific apps to open on floating windows every time, or even on specific virtual workspaces. The same goes for the static windows. You can have them open on specific workspaces as well. You can also name your workspaces to make it more task-oriented so you know that this is the messaging window, this is the terminal window, you know, etc., etc. Given some time, I could see myself using this instead of GNOME Shell. Yeah, people like DT will rave about this tiling manager or that tiling manager. And yeah, it, when you're an advanced user, there's nothing faster than Linux and a tiling manager. Definitely. But uh, if you're not there yet, stay away. <laughs> yeah, like Luke Smith, you want to watch some of his videos. You want to watch uh, DT. And I think without wasting any time looking at my YouTube history, there's a couple other ones that are new and you're learning as they're learning. So there is something for everyone. But yeah, like I said, with the caveats, know what you're getting into. Know that the mouse pretty much doesn't exist. And when in doubt, just hold the power button down. <laughs> <laughs> FSCK will recover whatever happened to EXT4 and you should be good. So what do you have for us, Josh? So uh, I reviewed uh, Draugr OS. Uh, Draugr OS is a Linux distro specifically for gaming. Uh, it comes with a lot of packages that other OSs don't include, such as Steam pre-installed and easy-to-install NVIDIA drivers right from the installer. The name Draugr OS comes from a game that I really like called The Elder Scrolls V Skyrim. There are enemies in the game called Draugr, and that's where the name comes from. Uh, my hardware. Uh, the hardware I tested on was my Ryzen 7 5800X CPU, 16 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM at 3200 megahertz, and my NVIDIA 1650 Super GPU. Installation, ease, and issues. Draugr OS does not use any of the traditional Linux installers. They actually created their own. Uh, I talked to one of the developers and he was saying that the other installers did not fit what they needed so they created their own. Their installer is basically just a text-based installer but it's in a window so you have the whole operating system loaded before you install. There are things I liked and things I didn't like about the installer. First of all, what I did like about it was that it was very simple to understand. Basically just click and select what you want. Some things I didn't like, my keyboard was not included uh, in the list of um, handled keyboards. So I would have had to just use the generic uh, keyboard, which is fine, but uh, it'd be nice to have uh, my keyboard included. Uh, everything else is pretty much your standard installation asking you for your language and other things like that, uh, like your region. You can do an automatic install so it partitions the drive correctly, or you can do a manual partition which opens up Gparted. The install is very fast and you can include the NVIDIA drivers while installing. 
but at the time I installed it, their uh, functionality was not available for installing the NVIDIA drivers from the installer. Uh, their backend needs to be fixed, as I was told by one of the developers. Overall, I really like the installer, but it does have a couple of things that need to be addressed so that people can more easily be able to get up and running with gaming on Linux, especially if using Draugr OS. Post-installation hardware facts and issues. After I got Draugr OS installed, there were a few things that the dev told me to do. First was to do a sudo apt install dash dash reinstall libva dash x11 dash 2 colon i386. This allowed Steam to update and run. He also told me to install the NVIDIA drivers using sudo apt install NVIDIA dash drivers dash latest. This package installed the latest NVIDIA drivers for my GPU. I was surprised to see that the installer used ButterFS by default and had all the proper things in FSTab to uh, take full advantage of ButterFS. The only thing that I didn't like about it is that the root and home partitions were not separate subvolumes and were not named at and at home, respectively, so that you can use TimeShift properly with ButterFS because Ubuntu by default names the subvolumes the at symbol and then home partition at symbol and then the word home. And I don't know why they do that exactly, but that's what TimeShift looks for to be able to use ButterFS. I would usually dock points for these kind of issues, but considering the dev told me that they were working to fix all these issues, it gives me hope for the future and I know it will get fixed soon. Draugr OS uses the XFCE desktop with custom theme and layout that is rather odd to me, but I guess works for a gaming system. The taskbar is at the top and there is a dock to the left side that you can add applications to allow quick access. At the bottom is a virtual desktop switcher that works, but really not sure why that is included in a gaming distro. With how the desktop is set up, I would initially think it was a workstation desktop rather than a gaming desktop. Ease of use. Draugr OS is extremely easy to use. Uh, it has many functions of a modern desktop even with its use of XFCE as the desktop. It uses Ubuntu as the base, so any application that works for Ubuntu will work for Draugr. Memory and disk usage. It was 8.4 gigabytes of space used on my SSD, which I was surprised at because of all the extras it includes. And then 645 megabytes of memory used reported by free-hm. And the 640, um, I'm sure since it's XFCE, it would probably be more like 400 and some like Moss got with his version, but they add things on top of this OS. So that probably accounts for the extra 200 megabytes of uh, RAM usage. Ease of finding help. Help was readily available on their Discord channel, even directly from the developer, which is always nice. Also as an Ubuntu base, so many avenues for support exist. Plays nice with others. This distro does not play nice with others. The installer does not have any option to install alongside another distro. You would have to plan ahead to make room for other distros manually. Of course, if you install another distro to the side, it does work with Grub. You can see it and all that. That's not the problem. It's just the problem that the installer, if you install the secondary, 
does not account for any other distros. It just wipes the drive. Stability. Draugr was very stable, although it I did have one issue with the interface. There were two Wi-Fi symbols that appeared, and I could not get either of them to go away. Other than that incident, after updating and making sure you do all the fixes, it works flawlessly. And again, they're going to be working on all these issues that I had to fix. They just hasn't had time. They're a very small team. I, I was confused when I was in Regolith because by default, it has the Wi-Fi symbol off to the right. And then when you add the other Wi-Fi applet, you have a second one. <laughs> oh, I know that just, I oh, I can't stand when that happens. And with Draugr, you couldn't even get rid of either of them. I like, I tried so hard. You could hide the one, but then you got a little arrow and that just annoys me. So <laughs> yeah, it was triggering my, my OCD a little bit. Cause I looked down there. And, yeah. Same here. <laughs> and see it. Yeah. It was exactly, I was just like, it, it wasn't like a big issue. Actually, it wasn't an issue at all, but just like seeing it up there constantly was just annoying. <laughs> uh, so gaming ease. Finally, I got to test some games, which is good. <laughs> uh, since this distro is geared towards gaming, I tested this out thoroughly. I tested three games, Horizon Zero Dawn, Elder Scrolls Online, and Valheim. The first two on this list are Windows games run via Steam Proton, aka Wine, um, a customized version of Wine, that is. And Valheim is a Linux native game. Horizon Zero Dawn is a heavily GPU-intensive game, and after doing some tweaks, it ran smoothly on high settings. Elder Scrolls Online is more of a CPU-intensive game, being that it is online, and the CPU has to do the tracking of other online players. That game also played smoothly on high settings, but anything higher than high settings, and it would begin to stutter. I'm not exactly sure what setting exactly caused the stuttering, but I, I didn't really tweak around and see what setting specifically caused it. But if I went from high to ultra, it definitely started to stutter pretty bad. Same with Horizon Zero Dawn. But even though it's CPU intensive with Elder Scrolls, it could be my GPU because it's a it's somewhat of a weaker GPU for this kind of a game for basically any kind of like AAA game. It is kind of a weaker GPU for that. So Valheim ran great on its highest settings, but that game is not really that intense of a game. Although the GPU I have is in my rig, is act, it actually does tax that GPU pretty pretty much, even though um, it does play it well. You can see the utilization getting up to into the 70-80%, which is pretty high. <laughs> After all my testing, I gave Draugr a pass for gaming. It really was a great experience, especially with Steam pre-installed and with the dev working to fix the uh, Steam and NVIDIA issues, I am sure it will only get better. Similar distros to check out. Uh, Nobara Project, which is actually a Fedora-based distro that Glorious Eggroll, a guy who makes a custom version of Proton that adds extra games, game compatibility, I should say, uh, he is actually spearheading this project, and uh, it's pretty it's pretty cool so far. I, I actually like it a lot. It just has a couple of things it needs yet, and they actually have been adding a lot to it, so that, that's a cool project. And then a Chimera OS, which is a Steam OS-based distro. Neither of these are really close to the look and feel of Draugr, but they are gaming-centric distros, so that's why I included them here. And then, of course, obviously anything with XFC desktop really is going to be similar, maybe not exactly the same, but similar performance and uh, ease of use. 
Uh, so for my ratings, um, ease of installation, I gave it a 8 out of 10 for a new user because it basically takes you through the installer step by step. But there are a lot of options, so you could get very confused when you start to have to deal with all the options. <laughs> but definitely a 10 out of 10 for an experienced user because it's just click next, click next, you know, a keyboard area, you know, region, that stuff. But um, the menus are vast when you get into it <laughs> it's just you got to know what to click hardware issues um i gave it a 9 out of 10 because of the wi-fi symbol thing kind of like i don't know what was going on with that I, I, technically that's a software issue but it was just kind of weird ease of finding help 10 out of 10 because they have a discord and they are ubuntu based so i mean basically there's just all the help in the world <laughs> Ease of use. After you get it installed, 10 out of 10, definitely. It's very easy to use. Everything seems to be right there. Like I said, it's more of like a workstation desktop look. So like everything is out in the open so you can see it. So you really know what you're doing uh, with that. Plays nice with others. Um, I gave this a 2 out of 10 only because it does work with Grub after the fact, but when you're installing it, it doesn't install alongside other distros when you're installing that over top of another distro or alongside another distro, I should say. Stability, 9 out of 10, again, because of the Wi-Fi thing. I don't know what that was, but that just kind of popped up and wouldn't go away. Um, works with games, 10 out of 10. Everything worked that I tested. I tested other games as well, but I didn't test them thoroughly. I just made sure they worked and they, they all did. Uh, so my overall rating is a 8.5 out of 10. Uh, I just averaged all of the ratings and that came up. <laughs> so that's what I put. <sighs> so final comments. I could probably recommend this to uh, anyone looking for a good desktop that can also run games as well. Also, the dev was very nice and super helpful, which really made my time with Draugr much, much better. My only suggestion would be to maybe focus on the desktop being more gaming centric rather than being a developer centric desktop. Of course, the devs also have to use this distro, so maybe that's why it kind of is geared towards that more. Thank you, Josh. New releases this month. From August 17th to today is September 21st, KOS 2022.08. Neptune 7.5, Karoshi 14.0.0, Maybox 22.08, Arch Labs 2022.08.21, EasyOS 4.3.5, Tails 5.4, Absolute 2022.08.25, Gecko 154.220822-0, that's the static, Gecko 999.220822.0 is the rolling. Makulu Linux 2022-08-19. Nitrux 2022-0831. Armbian 22.08.1. All official Ubuntu flavors 20.04.5. Archman 2022-0901. T2 SDK 22.9. Deepin 20.7. Linux FX 11.2.22.04.2, Nutix 22.09.3, Garuda 22.09.03, Regatta 22.0.5, Arch Linux 2022.09.03, 
Salix 15.0, Rescuezilla 2.4.1, Kodachi 8.25, TrueNAS 13.0-U2 Core, Raspberry Pi OS 2022-09-07, Bluestar 5.19.7, SmartOS 2022-090, Snal 1.21, Reborn OS 2022.09, OpenMamba 2022-0912, Venom 4.0, SME Server 10.1, Endeavor OS 22.9, KDE Neon 2022-0915, Parapasis 1.7, IP Fire 2.27 Core 170, Archcraft 2022.09.16, MX 21.2.1, and OSMC 2022.09-1. We did not see any feedback this episode. That might mean we didn't look very hard. I'm sorry for that. That was my fault. I was going to put those in there, and I forgot. Okay, well, we'll get to your feedback next month. And thank you for keeping in touch with us. Announcements. For chatting with us further, you may choose to join our Telegram group or our Discord channel. Where can our users find you, Josh? I'm uh, at Josh on Tech on most social networks, or email me at joshontech at pm.me. Also, you can find me on the uh, Crowbar Kernel Panic podcast. Dale? I am Dale underscore CDL on Telegram and Discord, and my email is dale underscore CDL at pm.me. And you can contact Tony at distrohoppersdigest at gmail.com. He also is a Hacker Public Radio host ID 338 and on Twitter at TonyH1212. And you can hear me every week on Full Circle Weekly News and Mintcast. My email is bardmoss at pm.me and I'm on Mastodon as at zyvola at hosttux.social. Plus, you can find me, Dale, and Dylan at itsmoss.com. Before we go, we would like to thank all those who make this project possible archive.org for storing and helping distribute this program. Audacity, which we use to record and edit the show. Tony Hughes for managing the website and producing and editing the podcast. Joshua Lowe for work on our logo. All those who work on the teams which are creating, adapting, and maintaining the Linux distros we have reviewed this episode. Mid-Air Machine, creators of the song Streets of Santivo, used as our music under Creative Commons license. Thanks to Linus Turvalls for the kernel, Richard Stallman for the GNU toolkits, and all those who have worked behind the scenes on free and open source slash library software. We will be back next month. Thank all of you for listening. Mm-hmm.